Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. This reading is from Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 4 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your ancestors find in me, that they went far from me, and went after after worthless things, and became worthless themselves? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through? where no one lives. I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, once more I accuse you, says the Lord, and I accuse your children's children. Cross to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, uh, even though there are no gods? Uh, But my people have changed their glory for something that does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's reading is from Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy, and Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So so Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, If one of you had a child or an ox that had fallen into a well, would you not immediately put it on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them with a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding, banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited to go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, 
Move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who excel, all, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg this morning is taken from Arcana Celestia, Heavenly Secrets, section 6393. Those who desire a reward for the works which they perform, be it known that they are never contented, but are indignant if they have not a greater reward than others. And if they see others more blessed than themselves, they are sad and find fault. Neither do they make bliss consist in inward bliss, but in outward, namely in being eminent, in having dominion, and being served by angels, thus in being above the angels, consequently in being princes and great men in heaven. When yet heavenly bliss consists not in wishing to rule, nor in being served by others, but in wishing to serve others and in being the least. Here ends the reading. As it was announced earlier, I live in Hopkinton, which means I spend a lot of my time driving. I spend, I, I don't even like to calculate how much time I spend in a car. One of the things that you do is you can either be miserable driving or you can get into the spirit of driving by looking at the wonderful sights that surround you. And if you do not know, the wonderful things that surround you are other cars. Well, not just cars, other vehicles. Lots and lots of different vehicles. All different sorts. Some have two wheels, some have three, some have four, all the way up to 18. And depending on it, there are ones that have more than 18. All depends how much weight they're putting on it. Some don't have radios. Some have multi-point luxury sound environments. Doesn't that sound better than a radio? I have a multi-point sound environment. Some of them are for carrying peoples to and from places, and some are for carrying loads. There's a myriad of vehicles. You know, they all have one thing in common. All vehicles have one thing in common. They get you from point A to point B. With reduced effort, ideally, on the part of the driver, right? Now, the thing is, what powers those vehicles actually can be even more varied than the vehicles themselves. There is, and sometimes it's clear, right? You, 
you can sometimes tell the difference between different types of vehicles. For instance, you always know you're behind a Tesla because there's no gas exhaust pipe, right? There's no exhaust pipe. So you know it's an electric car if there's nothing coming out at you when you're behind it. But there's gasoline, diesel, biodiesel, hydrogen, liquefied petroleum, natural gas, fuel cells, hybrids, and fully electric, and I'm sure I missed at least one, right? You know, in Australia, there's actually solar-powered cars. They do a race across the country using no fuel. These are very bad for commuting, and they are very bad for carrying cargo. They're glorified bicycles, but they have this great competition crossing the continent of Alaska without fuel. It's really neat. So I've asked myself from time to time, especially when I'm pondering buying a new vehicle, what fuel source should I use? Anybody have a thought? Because I have to say, growing up, I always thought like gasoline was the best and it was the cleanest. But you know what I found out? Did you know that diesel's actually cleaner than gas? It contains 30% more power per gallon than gasoline. Diesel produces a better environmental impact than gasoline, which I never believed. Because when you look at diesel trucks, right, you always see that smoke coming out, so it's dirty, right? Because what we see is clearly always true. No, not always. So diesel is actually better for the environment. And so I asked myself, well, what, if diesel's so much better for the environment, why, do we have, why are there so few diesel cars in the world? And then I found out, you know, if you go to Europe, it's 50-50 split between diesel and gasoline. If you take in the total count of cars in the world, there are more diesel cars percentage-wise than gasoline cars. So I started asking myself, why, why if diesel's better, are we... Are we using gasoline? And guess what? The, the answer kind of surprised me. Well, I didn't say it. It doesn't really surprise me. I just didn't think about it. Because it's the same reason that we're, not, that we're not all driving Teslas. It's the same reason that we're not all driving uh, hybrids or fuel cells or hydrogen or other environmentally friendly vehicles. Gasoline motors are cheaper. It's as simple as that. Gas is cheap. Diesel motors cost more. So what do you pick? You pick what's cheap. The one thing that all of these things can be judged on is cost. And it's very simple to judge something based on cost. Now I want to say something. There's, we heard a different thing in our scripture reading today. We heard from Jeremiah about people looking after worthless things and becoming worthless themselves. That concept of worthlessness, that isn't about cost. That's about something deeper. It's about value. What good does it contribute? Value, the idea, is separate from cost. You know what markers, by the way, have figured out? 
they have figured out that you will pay more than something is actually worse, worth. You will pay more than something is actually worth if you don't have to do it all at one time. The rise of subscription-based pricing. So if they actually charged you the full value up front, you would never pay for it. But if they say, well, it's only $5 a month. It's anybody, Rent-A-Center is famous for doing this, right? You can buy this $1,000 couch for $50 a month after you've paid like $2,000 for it. They do it all the time. Value is not cost. Yet all the time, we make our decisions on cost. This is what Jesus was talking about, about who would you invite. What drives us and fuels us is different from what it is we do. Cost could be compared to what it is we do. A person can go and do something, but that doesn't mean the value, the energy, the motivation, the thing behind it is the same even for two people who do the same thing. You know, there's an old saying, I'm assuming most of you have heard it, if all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. The thoughts you have, the energy you have, is what and the way that you solve your problems. Now, I have to be clear. There are times that I have problems that are nails and I don't have a hammer. Right? So I look around for, what else can I use to bang the nail? And sometimes it can be as simple as taking the nail out Replacing the nail and saying, well, I do have a screw and I have a screwdriver and that will do the same thing. But because the nail's there, I let the nail define it. And because I have a hammer, I let the hammer define it. My thing is with value, with the things that you have incorporated as being meaningful to you, we oftentimes let our past and our future biases control us in an unhealthy way. It's not as simple. We don't step back and say, how do I get from point A to point B? And is there another way? We have the fuel inside of us that says, well, there's only one way, and that's, that's to burn this fuel. Um, I'm a big, I'm going to say this. It's not going to sound good for anybody who knows it, but I'm a big fan of Machiavelli's book, The Prince. By that, I mean I don't want to govern using it. Now, if anyone does not know who Machiavelli is, he was kind of the birth of political science. And he's a man who is very famous. And I'm going to paraphrase the whole book here. But basically, it is better to be loved than feared. But if you can't be loved, be feared. That's basically what he says. So the, the horrible thing about the book is he doesn't talk anywhere in the book about how do you get people to love you, even though that's the better thing. He spends all of his energy talking about how do you get people to be fearful of you. And do you know what happens if you have fear be your motivating factor to the people around you? The second 
they see an opportunity, they leave. Fear does not change hearts. It motivates people, but it does not change hearts. Love, on the other hand, love people die for. Love people commit to, and if you were to leave, they would not stop doing it. If we have fear as what motivates us, then we're being controlled by whatever the punishment is. If we recycle, because if we do not recycle, we get a fine, what that means is when the back is turned, guess what we do with the trash? If we love the earth, and that's the reason why we want to recycle, do you know what we do when we see the trash the person just threw on the ground behind us? We pick it up and recycle it. This sort of mentality, believe it or not, we struggle with it every moment of our lives. What drives you as a person? Who are you going to invite to the banquet of your life? What the Lord is talking about when he makes a statement about being a servant isn't about whether or not you get the best seat at an actual dinner. What he is talking about when he says that people need to be a servant is an attitude through which you approach everything that you do in life. An attitude where you start asking what is point A and what point B and why am I trying to get to point A or point B. We train ourselves. People who are in places of crisis train themselves to see life as a crisis. When they are freed from that crisis, do you know what happens? They try and find a new crisis. When you have people who view everything as being a horrendous moral problem where people are just not good enough and they leave that situation. Do you know what they try and find? Where's the moral evil problem? Now, there are another type of person out there. This is the type of person who sees everything as a blessing and goodness from God. This does not mean, by the way, that a person who sees everything as a blessing ignores problems. It means they have a different approach. It means they're using different energy to get to their end result. It's the difference between a riot and an I have a dream speech. It's the difference between a person who says, I will not let evil go because I know there is good in the people who I'm working with and I'm going to cultivate that goodness versus I am going to punish the evil. There's a different energy there. And the person who seeks to invite love into their hearts, into the banquet of their life, will be invited up to a better, happier place. When you are angry, it really doesn't matter whether or not you're feeding thousands of people, because at the end of the day, guess what? You will still be angry. Anger will never be resolved. If, on the other hand, there's a difference, by the way, between righteousness and anger. 
if you are truly loving, if you are truly trying to solve a good thing because you are wanting the best for the people out there and the best outcome, at the end of the day, you will get a sense of joy and pleasure that you will not be able to quantify. Each of us has an external reality. We might call it the cost. We might call it an action. And then we have an internal reality that could be considered the value or the reasons that we act. What type of fuel do you want driving you to get to point A or to point B? What are the ways that you encourage love? How do you look for goodness surrounding you? The Lord says it's very simple. Care more about what the person next to you needs than what you need yourself. And when you do that, you'll be invited up. Who, this year, will you invite to your banquet? Today we celebrate Labor Day, a time when we celebrate the group of people. It's not just all workers. Labor Day is a holiday for the unions. It is the group of people who came together and said, we have had enough of working in factories without bathrooms. We have had enough working in situations that if our factory catches fire, we can't escape. We have had enough of not being considered to have value. On Labor Day, we celebrate giving value to people who did not have value before. So how appropriate on this Labor Day is it that our Lord asks us, what does it mean to find value in what you do and who you do it with. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.